Well, good morning, Every Nation Church Malaysia. So glad to be with you today. Thank you, Jason, for that wonderful introduction. You know, he's my 1.5 and I'm still looking for my number one. Aha, okay. You know, welcome back. And you know, we've been on this series called uh, Awesome God. And in this series, we've been talking about the names of God. And we've talked about a lot of names of God. Talk about Jehovah, my Lord, Jehovah Shalom, El Roy, and Jehovah Jireh, God, my provider. And you know, this week, we really want to talk about this word of God, which is El Shaddai. But before we begin, I want to poise this question to you guys. You know, right, if you think about it, right, God could have revealed himself with one name, God, you know, Yahweh. But actually, when we look at the Bible, we find that God constantly revealed himself through many names. In fact, I've got a list of names that we're not going to talk about, but I want to mention it. We've got El Elyon, El Olam, El Berif, Yahweh Nisi, Yahweh Mekadesh, Mekadesh, Yahweh Shalom. And in fact, the list goes on and on. In fact, some scholars believe that's around 100 plus names of God in the Bible. And you know, that tells me something. That tells me, right, that God in His just magnificence and His glory cannot really be fully described by a single name. But rather, God chose to reveal Himself through many names on, to different people in different circumstances. And each of these names have a certain depth and quality to, it, quality to it that really brings out a certain characteristic of God. And I think just studying the names of God has been so beneficial to my faith. And you know, potentially, you know, given a different season, you need a different name. Potentially in this season, you need the God of peace, Shalom. And you know, maybe in this season, you need someone who sees you then you have, you call upon the name El Roy. And you know, today we want to talk about God Almighty, El Shaddai. And before we start, I want to talk about names for a moment. You know, names are pretty significant. They tell a lot about the person. You know, I have many names, or I'm, people call me Joel, but I have a lot of nicknames. One of my famous nicknames is uh, Pastor Tim Sun. Uh, I recall uh, many times I could like, you know, predict that, okay, the person's going to introduce me. Hi, this is Joel and this is Pastor Tim Sun. It's like, yes, you know, could predict that. And another famous name uh, that I was used to, known by, uh, is Sambal King, okay? And when I was young, what happens is my friends called me Sambal King and I wear this name with much pride when I was in middle school. And so here's the thing about a name. A name tells you three things about a person. First, it tells you who the person is. The second, it tells you what the person does. And the third, how we relate to that particular person. So I was called Samba King. What does that tell about me? Well, this indicates that probably who am I? I'm a guy who really likes nasi lemak. And so I can tell you straight up, ever since seven years old, I guarantee that I will have one nasi lemak every week. And before that, when I was in primary school, I would ensure that my mom and dad would bring me out to get nasi lemak from the BK2 restaurant. Okay? And it also probably indicates they have a high tolerance of sambal. And so I, uh, yeah, so I would just eat and I would, what happens is I will most of the time get extra sambal. Okay? So what does the person do? So I have a very specific way of eating uh, nasi lemak. What happens is I would take the sambal and treat it like a curry. So I'll just pour the sambal into my nasi lemak, mix it all together, champo it all together, and what happens is I'll slowly eat. And lastly, how we relate to that person. So my friends who called me sambal king, uh, they were very intentional in relating to me. When they have too much sambal, they will gladly and generously donate to me. And not only that, for my parents, when I was in college, each morning, my dad would bring me, or not, once a week, my dad would bring me to Village Park to ensure I get my fix of nasi lemak for that week. And so with the name Samba King, it, it conveys who am I, it, con it conveys what I do, and it conveys how other people to relate to me. And this, you can use this angle for, you know, many names. So for example, sales manager, 
You know, who are you? You know, you should be someone capable, maybe good with people. And what do you do? You probably manage sales. And who relates to you? Well, your boss will potentially hold you accountable for the sales they bring towards the company. And if you're potentially an executive under him, what happens is you report to him. So with this angle and this framework, what happens is we can work through effectively every name. And today, we want to use this framework to work through El Shaddai, God Almighty. And for our passage, we'll be reading Genesis 17, 1 to 2 for now, okay? So let's go. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. I am walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. I'm going to read. Then Abraham, yeah, okay. And then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations. And kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout this generation, for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourning, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. Okay, long words, a lot to unpack. Let's begin, okay? Who the person is? El Shaddai. Shaddai, the term is most of the time translated to Almighty. But there's a bit of mystery in terms of what scholars agree in terms of what Shaddai represents. Some scholars have linked the word Shaddai to an Arcadian word that represents mountain. And if you take that, right, if you take that interpretation, what it means is this. The mountain is the highest at, at one point, the highest point of the entire geographical region. And because of that, some scholars have translated Almighty, the word El Shaddai, into El above all. Almighty God, the God who is above all. And this is an interesting translation because what it's trying to say, or what the passage is trying to say, is that God is above everything else. There is nothing else above Him. He's big, bigger than your circumstance. He's bigger than the most powerful being on earth. He's bigger than all the animals. He's the greatest. He's the maximal greatest being. And I want to point this out. Interestingly, if you look at the religion, other religion back then, what you find is there's a distinction if, in how Israelites view their God versus the other religions around. So for example, other religions around, right, when they say something is God, right, they don't necessarily mean that it's an all-powerful being. What happens is, like, for example, the Egyptian gods. The Egyptian gods, they were powerful. They, you know, they're superhuman strength. They can do superhuman tasks. But what happens is you find that they also need stuff. And so what happens is the other people who worship them, they would have to worship the God, and the God would gain power from the, from the worship. And what happens is the God uh, will require their worship because the God needs that for them to sustain. Whereas, we want to contrast that with the Israelite God, which is Yahweh and El Shaddai. What happens is, the Bible is trying to say that this God, He's above that. He doesn't need your worship to exist because He's so powerful already. And I think that's a very interesting contrast we see there. And you know, I've experienced the term God Almighty in my life. I remember once when I was in US and me and my friends, we decided to go on this trail. Uh, it was the El Capitan Trail, named after the Mac OS. No, Mac OS was named after it. And in that trail, uh, it was an 18, 16 mile hike with 3,000 feet of elevation. We left at 7 a.m. in the morning and we hiked up the mountain, a group of friends and I. We reached the mountain around 2 p.m. and so it's like eight hours of hiking right there, approximately, and then we started to come down. As we head down, what happened was uh, my friend 
suddenly started getting cramps. So the rest of the people went ahead and I decided to accompany my friend. We went down slowly and I was casually talking to him and we were, uh, we were enjoying ourselves. However, up to a certain point, what happened was my friends, uh, we realized the thing was, the slope was so steep and we were slowed down heavily. And so what happens is it was getting dark. It was getting dark and what happens is we were in bad territory in California. And so I was starting to get very concerned. My friend started getting cramps and it got really bad. And what happens is we could not make any progress at all. He came to a point where he had to sit down to go down. Like, you cannot walk down anymore. It was that bad. And during that situation, uh, we started panicking and slowly. And so what happens is at around 5 to 6 p.m., things got really bad. We realized we cannot proceed anymore. We decided to call the park ranger. So we called the park ranger. It's getting dark, so on and so forth, okay? I kid you not, we called the park ranger. Uh, we have limited food, we have limited water. We called the park ranger. And guess what? The park ranger put us on hold. And for a moment, me and my friend there were stunned. We, we, we really didn't know what to do. My friend was, was pretty much couldn't move. And I did what I only could do. I prayed to God, oh God. Like, I don't see any way out of this. And so we were stuck. We still had four hours down to go and it was really steep. And I knew I couldn't help my friend. Now, as we just hung up on the phone and the park ranger said he, 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 he doesn't think he could help us, what happens was there was a group of people coming down, four people specifically, and we decided uh, we had to take a step of faith. So we asked them whether they could accompany us down. And what happens is they agreed, and that ended up saying this. Let me tell you, uh, my friend, as he went down later on, it got even worse. He, he really degraded. What happens, he started having panic attacks, and he screamed in the middle of the night. Like, it was so overwhelming to him. We were hungry, we were tired, we were, you know, dehydrated. And these people, these four of them, they brought us through. And I look back and I see God in a mighty hand. And just let me tell you in small ways. One of them grew up in a farm. And so when he grew up in a farm, what happened is that he has sort of like night vision. He, he could see in the dark pretty, uh, pretty clearly. And so what happens is he led us through that and through the dark forest. And not only that, another member, he specifically participated in Viper Challenge and a very specific kind of Viper Challenge, which is he would carry people and bring them across the the line. And so what happens is when my friend was immobilized and cannot move at all, what happens is he took my friend, carried him all the way down. And I tell you, as I look back at that situation, I can only acknowledge how God stepped in and intervened. And the craziest part is this. As we went down, right, no other group went down alongside us. And that group that we asked was actually probably the last group that actually was heading down at the time. And as I look back at whole, look at the whole situation, I'm so blessed and I, I see that God was so hand, His almighty hand was there and was providing us the whole time. And you know, that's our God. Our God is above everything. Our God is above our problems. Our God is above our circumstances. Our God is above everything else. And you know, I think that reveals so much in terms of El Shaddai. And you know, the second thing, what the person does. And here's pretty, something pretty interesting. When God uh, entered and talked to Abraham, this is the first time that actually God reveals El Shaddai to Abraham. And what happens is God talks about making a covenant. And covenant is really interesting because it's hard for us modern day readers to get it. Uh, we think of covenant in terms of contract. Uh, you owe me this, I owe you, I give you this, you owe me that, you know, that kind of thing. But actually, covenant is much deeper than that. Covenant is the tying of allegiances and will. So a contract is, this is yours, and I take this. 
But a covenant is, I am yours, you are mine. It's a tying of allegiances together. And what happens is contract, temporary. But covenant, possibly multi-generational, by which the covenant is indefinite. There's no end to the covenant. And what we see here is God decide in all his might to make a covenant with Abraham. And I think it's so beautiful. And I want to reread the passage again. And as I read, I want you to notice the amount of times that God says, I will, okay? So let's read. I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and you may multi- and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God says, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of multitude of na- nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, but your name shall be called Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. First one, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into a nation and kings shall come from you and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after throughout their generation for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourning and all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. If you look at that passage, right, God uses the word I will approximately four to five times. And that's crazy. And I want you to know at this point, God promises Abraham that you will become multi, uh, multi, you know, multitude. Nations will come from you. Kings will come from you. And let me ask you, what does Abraham after have at that point? He is childless. He is 99 years old. Childless. And God is making extraordinary claims. He says, you know, I will make you a great nation. Abraham's like, that's nothing. I have nothing. But God says, I will. And that's crazy. And you know, I want to note this out. You know, Abraham, when God changed the name Abraham to Abraham, Abraham in the Hebrew, it means the father of multitude. And what did Abraham have at that point? He had nothing. And and I look at this, it's pretty crazy. Because God is trying to say that even in, in the midst of the nothingness, God can create something and God will bring forth His promises to Abraham. And you know, that really reminds me of the characteristic of God. You know, of talking about God Almighty. God Almighty, He is able to make the possible out of the impossible. To a human who looks at their situation, to Abraham who looks at their situation, it's impossible. How can I, no child, barren, have, you know, nations coming from me. But God says, I will. And I will make the possible from the impossible. That is the God we're believing. God is not only a might, almighty God. He can make the impossible possible. Okay? And lastly, so we talk about, you know, the almightiness of God. The question now is, how do we relate to that person? And for this, we go back to verse 2. And I think this is pretty insightful. When Abraham was 99 years old and the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Okay, so here's the secret. I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. What God asked of Abraham was this. God asked of Abraham to be almighty. Uh, God asked of Abraham to walk before him and be blameless. You know, there's a certain kind of way we all walk. Some of us walk in our way. And Abraham tried that. In the previous chapter, what happens is we had the whole Ishmael thing. What happens is Abraham, you know, he could not see uh, him having a son. So what happens is he decided to take things into his own hands. He decided to walk his own way. He slept with Haggai and get Ishmael. And this caused a whole lot of trouble. And Abraham tried that. And he realized, you know, it didn't work. And what happens is God in this situation is telling him, you know, Abraham, you've tried your own way. 
Now let me try, if you try to walk in my way. You know, many times in our life, we have to make a decision in the way we walk. Every day, you know, we are presented with a choice to walk in our way, God's way, or the world's way. And potentially, it's a struggle for us sometimes to walk in the ways of God. You know, I, I am a single guy. I have been to university, uh, and what happens is I have encountered in terms of how people quote-unquote date in university. And as I go through that, uh, and as I see my friends do this, there's, there's again, there's a temptation to potentially walk in their, in their way, in a way that potentially is not right, uh, doesn't bring honor to God, and at the end, uh, it's not God-centric. And one thing, example that I feel that I potentially struggle with is always finding my security in God and Christ alone. And I know sometimes in the pursuit of a relationship, I can build my identity on the person and rather than God. And that is a way by which I choose not to walk in God's way anymore. It's whereby I choose to walk in my way. And that's not only all in terms of struggle. I can't empathize with you, but example for a businessman, you are presented a way to walk, a certain way to walk. You could either A, walk in the way that brings honor to God, or you could choose to walk in a way that does not bring honor to God and be blameful. It could be unethical. And not only that, it can expand to, the, it can be ex- expand to all life. The things you do, the, the way you entertain yourself, is the way I entertain myself something that brings honor to God? Is it a way that I can walk before God healthily? Or potentially in terms of parenting, is the way I parent uh, something that brings honor to God? And is it the way that He wants me to walk? And every day we are faced with that decision to make. You know, and it's a struggle. And Abraham struggled with that too. God told him, you know, I will do this for you. I am God. I am God Almighty. And Abraham later on, he also failed. He made mistakes. But God set the expectation that said he should walk before him and be blameless because God is almighty. You know, I want to end with the story of uh, Polycarp. Polycarp, probably one of the early church founders, and I thought that his story really would just draw this to a close. So I'll give you a bit of context. Polycarp was a disciple of John, and he was a Christian bishop in Smyrna. Forgive me if I pronounced that wrong. He's a second-generation Christian. So that means, right, after the apostles, it was, after apostles passed on, this was the second generations of people who's going to lead the early church. And what happens is he was specifically martyred. Okay? So when he was 86 years old, he was arrested by the Romans. And I, I want to read, okay? I'm going to be reading from uh, his book, actually. We have the translation, okay? Roman soldiers discovered Polycarp's whereabouts and came to his door. When his friends urged him to run, Polycarp replied, God's will be done. And he led the soldiers in. So he was brought to the Coliseum. And what happens is that he was about to be put to death. And so the governor asked him, Reproach Christ and I will set you free. And this is what Polycarp said. 86 years have I served him, Polycarp declared. And he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Then the governor said, I have all animals here. I will throw you to them if you do not repent. And then Polycarp replied, Call them. It is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good to turn what is evil. I will be glad that to be changed from evil to righteousness. And what happens is the pro-council was trying to get him to repent and renounce Christ. And Polycarp refused. And so what happens is they tied Polycarp up and set him to the fire stick. And before he died, this is what he prayed. And I think it's really powerful. O Lord God Almighty, 
the Father of your beloved and blessed Son, Jesus Christ, by whom we have received the knowledge of you, the God of angels, powers, and every creature, and of all the righteous who live before you. I give you thanks that you count me worthy to be numbered among your martyrs, sharing the cup of Christ and the resurrection to eternal life, both of body and soul, through the immortality of the Holy Spirit. May I receive this day as an acceptable sacrifice, as you, the true God, have predestined, revealed to me and now fulfilled. I praise you for all these things. I bless you and glorify you along with the everlasting Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. To you, with Him, through the Holy Ghost, be glory both now and forever. forever. Amen. And what happens is, his, the book tells us, continues, that when He died, He died peacefully and He died calmly. And He was known around that time that even among the pagans, that, wow, Polycarp, what a man. And you know, you think about Polycarp. He had every reason to walk not before God, and to walk in his own way. He could straight out reject, you know, God, I don't need to do this anymore. Let me just renounce you. Let me just, you know, blaspheme and let me just get out of here. He, want, he could that. But he chose at the end of the day to walk before him until his death. And wow, that's so powerful right there. So I look at Polycarp, you know, as I think about it, I think potentially why I, he made that decision. He was able to recognize that God was almighty. And even in the point of death, God was able to overcome death. And he saw that this was not the end, that he's going to die. But what happens is he will have the resurrected life because of what Jesus did die on the cross. God was almighty enough to conquer death. And God is beyond death. And with that posture, I think Polycarp went. And he was confident that ultimately at the end, No man, nothing on earth can separate us from the love of God. And you know, I'm going to quote Romans 8, 13, 31. If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, today we talked about God Almighty. And I think pretty much the takeaway is quite simple. Once we recognize God is powerful, God is almighty, God is above all, He's above our circumstances. He's above our troubles. He's above our past. He can make the impossible possible. What is the proper response? The proper response is to walk before Him and to be blameless in what we do. You know, knowing that God is almighty allows us to walk in Him confidently because we know that at the end of the day, God is in control of our situation. You know, in regards to the pandemic, God is in control of our situation. God is above the pandemic. Uh, potentially, you know, financially, God is above. God is above the uh, financial issues. God is above sickness because God is in control over all and God is above all. As we walk back today, uh, let us keep that in mind and let us keep our eyes on God as we know that He is almighty and all-powerful and He can make the possible from the impossible. Let's pray. Father Lord, I thank you God for today. Father Lord, we come before you, God knowing that you are an almighty God and that you are above all else. Father Lord, you make the possible out of the impossible from Abraham. And Father Lord, you through him did the craziest thing ever. You created nations out of him. And through that, Jesus. Father Lord, I thank you God. And Father Lord, I pray we may recognize and we can walk in your way constantly because you are above everything else. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.